Welcome to Mortals. A podcast where we explore how humans have managed their dead throughout history. From barrows and burials to cremations and kurgans. We are taking a look at rites, rituals, and practices from around the world. Mortals podcast is for the morbidly curious or the curiously morbid. On today's episode, we are talking about death and pets. Please be aware that this episode, titled Death and Pets, Pet Cemeteries, contains, obviously, pet death. Now let's get on with the show. Alright, so, uh, Death and Pets something that nobody really wants to talk about or think about. But here we are! We're gonna talk about it. First off, I guess, Mariah and Janine, do you guys have any pets or have you ever had any pets? Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yes. I have had so many pets in my life. Uh, I technically currently have a pet, but he's not living with me because I just moved into a new place where I'm actually allowed to have a pet, so he's still with my sister at the moment. Uh, but I should be retrieving him shortly. He's a dwarf rabbit named Frodo Baggins. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. How, how very characteristic, yes. of course. It's I don't currently have any pets. I am trying to adopt a cat, but it's an ongoing battle. Um, but I have had cats primarily throughout my life, and everyone in my family has a dog except for me, uh, including oh. some very old dogs our dog baja is 14 years old and he's a shih tzu oh, wow. so uh he took a, a mighty leap down some stairs the other day and he's been limping ever since oh <laughs> he can't see very well so kind of misjudged how far the step was <laughs> well as both of you know um and anybody who follows me on instagram because i usually post about history and museum content but lately it's become a kitten instagram Because I got myself a little feral demon child who my partner and I have lovingly named Beans. He is not... (laughs) (laughs) He's adorable. As anyone who's ever seen him will attest. Um, He's very cute. But I have also had a number of pets throughout my life. This is my first pet as an adult, so it's very... I'm very nervous as a new pet parent because he's fully my responsibility and I freak out all the time because I'm like, what are you eating? Um, (laughs) What did you just put in your mouth? (laughs) A lot of that. Literally that, what do you have? A knife! No! (laughs) (laughs) Literally. Except it's usually like little bits of like onion skin in my kitchen. Oh my god. Um, So it's always that. Uh, But I have also had and... Spicy garbage. I've also had a number of pets throughout my life. I grew up mainly with dogs. I had a very mean cat when I was a very, very small child who did not like me, likely because I was a very, very small child named Bilbo. And my name, the the name association with that will always be with the mean cat that used to hit me as I walked by him and was like blind in one eye. That name will always have that association with me, not the... Not the fun-loving hobbit. Um, I mean, he sounds like a main character kind of cat. 
Anyways, I maybe mean, a main villain, but... Truly. Yeah. He, like, ran, like, the cat gang of the neighborhood and was, like, a bit of a scrapper. Like, he was 100%, like, a main character or an antagonist, so... <laughs> but all of those previous pets that I had as a child are, as of today, deceased. No, I'm, that sound, I, no, nobody died today. I'm just saying that today I don't have any alive childhood pets, but, like, my mom's or anything. They're don't just, worry, I understood. Okay, yeah. thank you. <laughs> so, as we've come to talk about in this podcast, death is all around us. It eventually comes to us. It eventually, unfortunately, comes to our pets much sooner than we all would hope. Big sad. Yeah. Big sad. And this is one thing that ties people together across continents, across cultures, and across time. It's it's amazing, too, how animals really do br- like bridge cultures and the way that people take care of animals Mm -hmm. because i know anytime i've been in a foreign country and kind of going through the culture shock and stuff running into a cat that responds to the same sorts of noises as a canadian cat just warms my heart and Mm -hmm. i'm like it is all just it is all just one big earth we all live here people are the same everywhere because cats are the same everywhere (laughs) (laughs) well it's like the I, I kind of tangentially know about this, so forgive me if it's not wholly accurate, but the idea that, I guess, cats actually dom- domesticated us. We didn't domesticate them. We are the whole idea. I love that, and I love the idea that they're like, hello, this is a big, stupid, bald cat that I need to take care of, versus <laughs> this idea that dogs are like, you're a distinct thing from me. Hello, I love you anyways. <laughs> oh. Yes. <laughs> dogs and cats are great in different ways. Yes. They really are. I'm very much a person who falls in the middle. I'm not... I am very much not a dog person or a cat person. I'm a, I'm both. I like both. I think they both have their positives. Positives. I think, <laughs> ha 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 <laughs> <laughs> I do think that if my current place of residence had allowed a dog and my current lifestyle and my job and everything had allowed for a dog, I probably would have gotten one instead of a kitty. But I am so happy to have beans in my life, and I keep thinking about how, like, it's like that one thing from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. It's like, I've only had beans for a week and a half, but if anything happened to him, I'd kill everyone in this room and myself. Like, <laughs> I'm very much becoming that. Like, I'm like, I don't know what my life oh, was like mode. before you. Like, and I think that that's one of the great things. That's one of the reasons why I was so excited about this episode is that I think that definitely, like, our culture and how we interact with our pets has definitely changed over the years. There's no doubting that. And especially just the idea of between having like a work dog who, you know, helps like corral your sheep or, you know, just helps keep the foxes away or what have you has kind of changed over the years. So I think our relationship with our animals might have changed and it might not be exactly the same today as it was with Romans and their dogs. But it's still fun to think about that, you know, we always have we've always kind of had this affection for these four-legged critters that are running around us that want scritches and pets. And I just have a lot of feelings about pets, man. <laughs> They're just so good. They're just too yes. good. And Even I if think... they do eventually die and leave us. Yeah, but I think I'm going to touch on this in a little bit later, but I might just touch on it now because I think it's relevant to what we're talking about. But I watched a video of somebody going through... Uh, one of the cemeteries I'm going to talk about later. And the woman in the video talks about how 
how warm the graves of these pets are like there's so much love from that human towards that animal just like in that one little burial plot i don't know how else to describe it right now but you know it's heartwarming it's, it's very heartwarming it's kind of a reminder that the world isn't so shitty that people love their pets and not everything is awful i guess pets make things better absolutely Pets make things better. Everybody should have a pet. Well, I mean, if they're going to treat it right. But I feel like if people learn to care for... If everybody learned to care for a pet, it would make people better people. Oh, absolutely. I think so, yeah. I've also definitely lived with people and seen people who should not have pets. So, <laughs> who had pets, oh, yeah. unfortunately. So, but... Oh, yeah. Mariah and I know all about that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so I'm going to be talking today a little bit about how we've talked about burials and, you know, how people have treated their dead throughout time. And I think it's really important that we touch on how people have talked about their animals because, you know, they're a part of your life and they're alive and people give burial rights to their pets and they've kind of always done this. So I'm going to be jumping around a lot in time and space today. I'm going to try and start as far back as I can and then kind of move forward. This is actually a really, really broad topic. And I honestly, Janine and Mariah willing, and if I feel up to it in the future, I feel pretty confident that I could make a second episode about this because I'm kind of only covering pet cemeteries specifically and like burials. But like we could talk so much about, uh, I think Mariah and I were talking about this, like, pet monuments like Hachiko in Japan and yeah. the, the terrier from Edinburgh. I, I genuinely just didn't have space for that sort of thing, as well as I'm also not going to touch on um, animals and war memorials, which is something else I'd like to touch on. But I don't know if I have enough content of that for a future episode, but we'll see. So what do we do a part there's, two? Yeah. So if you feel like if you're listening to this and you feel like there's something that I should have talked about, reach out and tell me. Because I might, if I have enough content, I might put together another episode on this. Because I think it's, I was really excited about this. I'm going to keep talking about it. So I feel like we should probably get into it. Our email is mortalspodcast at gmail.com if you have any ideas. Or just yell at me on Instagram. Or yell at the Mortals Podcast on Instagram. Or yell at our Twitter. I think that's all of our social yes. media. <laughs> I believe so. The, the Twitter is currently frozen because it thinks we're a bot. It will fix it. It'll be okay. <laughs> I'm going to fix it. We'll get to it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I guess to begin, I'm going to kind of begin our story way back in 4300 BCE in a human tomb that contains 11 people, including men and women and children. And it's a very, fairly simple burial in modern day Saudi Arabia. And the interesting thing, though, is that there is a small dog buried with these people. Uh, several oh, wow. like bone fragments and they were able to tell that this wasn't a dog or like a desert dog that had kind of wandered through and happened to have like crawled into this tomb and died um, they were able to date it to the same time and also just because the bones showed signs of arthritis which immediately led researchers to believe that it was domesticated as a wild dog wouldn't have lived as long as this little guy would have ah and they also confirmed that it was, in fact, a small dog and not one of the desert wolves that were native to the area. Um, An old school purse dog. 
yeah, <laughs> a six thousand year old purse dog. Um, <laughs> I think the it purse was by quite a bit. I think it was a little bit bigger than what we would consider to be a traditional purse dog today. Probably like a medium size. I think about. Like I think the size. size. No, like bigger than that, like a collie, like one oh, of those okay. little collies. Okay. Not a wolf. Duffel but, you bag know. dog. Duffel bag dog. Yeah. <laughs> Jim bag dog. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but this this burial was really interesting though because and it caused big ripples in this area of research, specifically eth- ethnicolo- ethnicology. Oh, I'm so sorry if I messed that up. Uh, which is essentially the study of the domestication of dogs. And it actually pushed back the date of when we formerly believed humans had domesticated dogs by about a thousand years, because this dog obviously shows signs of being a family pet. Yeah, you, they cared about it enough to bury it with humans, so. like they Well, two things. They cared enough about it to bury it with people, and they also, in a way that was not sacrificial, usually they're signs of like trauma or something in that sort of case, but in this case, it was very obvious that it had died of natural causes and he had signs of arthritis and things that he had, you know, he'd survived. He'd been cared for. So, yeah. He was a good boy. He was a good, he was a good 6,000 year old boy. Um, <laughs> All dogs are so good boys. <laughs> if we're going to, if I'm going to cry in an episode, this is going to be the one guy is like. <laughs> um, oh, horse. <laughs> oh, horse. But I'm going to like immediately jump ahead in time a little bit. And again, we're going to shift our virtual mental map here over to the Ashkelon Cemetery, which is a burial ground in Israel. And this burial ground contains the remains of more than 1,300 dogs. Um, Holy. I was kind of tentative to put this one to add this one because it's kind of a mystery because all right well let me explain what it is and then we'll talk about why it's kind of a weird why I was tentative so it was discovered in the 1980s but it's dated to be between the 5th and 4th century BCE and for the most part all of these dogs are puppies they're all juveniles and they're all buried in a similar sort of fashion with their tail tucked between their legs but nobody really knows why they're there. There are no grave goods. They aren't buried in the same direction, suggesting a sort of, you know, uh, religious suggestion. And they've like ruled out sacrifice because again, you would have signs of that, but all of these puppies and like, you know, medium age dogs uh, show no signs of trauma that comes with creatures that have been sacrificed. And Wait, you know, so, aside, so then how do all these dogs end up in a grave? Do, do we know if they were all buried at the same time? As from what I was able to read, it seems like they were buried over the course of fifty years. So it's like it, like it's really a mystery because you know, as you'll see when we go through some of these other pet cemeteries, there's a human factor to it. People will bury, especially with the next one that I'm going to talk on, like they'll they'll bury things with their dogs, whether it's a collar or, you know, just like a feather or something like some like a token of some sort. Yeah, their favorite um, toy or whatever. Yeah. And with this one, it's just the only thing they have in common is that their tail is tucked between their legs. 
Some of them had their feet bound. What? After they were, like, to help with the burial, I guess, and to help them keep that kind of shape that they were buried in for some of the long boys, you know? But no, it's it's a really weird kind of burial ground because it's like nobody really knows what was going on there or why they're there or what happened. So, And they're all juvenile dogs, too. They're all juvenile. They show it's not like somebody there was like a serial puppy puppy strangler going around from what they can tell. It's really, really weird. Huh. Disturbing, to say the least. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe. Um, Seems a little nefarious, in my opinion. But what do I know? I'm not an archaeologist. Yeah. um, It's a fairly recent discovery, I think, as well. Within the last... Wait, no, I said 1980s. That's the next one. Yeah. So I don't know if there's like been any like recent research on it or if they've been able to, from what I was able to tell, there hasn't been, but just as far as anything being published or in the works to be published. But yeah, it's a, it's a very strange little mystery that's kind of sad. <laughs> but if we go, because I think what makes that one sad is just, like I said before, you know, it's missing the human factor. It's missing, it's missing somebody missing them, you know? Yeah. But let's again jump forward in time a little bit and let's twist our mental globe and land in Egypt in the first and second century AD in a little place called Marsa Alam, a small town in Egypt. And this one actually is a very recent discovery that I was really, really excited to learn about because the excavation went under a Roman garbage pile from the first and second century AD. And what they found was 585 animals interred in what appeared to be a graveyard. So I'm not sure when the actual excavation took place, but their research article was published in the Journal of World Archaeology on January 25th of 2021 this year. And it's really interesting because of the 585 animals that were buried, they were able to determine that about 90% of it was cats. Oh, wow. So, um, well, yeah, if you don't know, there's that pop culture association, cats in Egypt. Yeah, well, it's, uh, I think it's one of the few cultures in the world that has a god specifically kind of designated to the worship of cats. Aside from Egypt, like nothing springs to mind as far as like a god or anything like that specifically dedicated to cats. So at least not something like you said, not something that springs to mind immediately. Maybe there is, but as far yeah. as our general pop culture knowledge of mythology, I would agree with that statement that Egypt's the only one that comes to mind. Yeah. Yeah. So this cemetery is night and day from the Ashkelon Cemetery because this one was in fact and very obviously an intentional burial of beloved animal companions and not just discarded animals, say from a slaughterhouse or serial cat strangler or you know uh, any of those other it wasn't a mass sacrifice and we are able to confirm this for a number of reasons so first off like I said 90% of the animals were cats 5% were dogs and the last 5% were sort of miscellaneous other creatures that were likely treated as pets including different two different types of monkeys Um, but the animals were buried with man-made grave goods iron collars, necklaces decorated with glass or shell. Some of them were covered in textiles and 
uh, one of the cats, which I just, I love this. I don't know why, just the, the mental image of it is quite beautiful to me. But one of the cats was laid out on the wing of a really large bird as kind of, oh. you know, a funeral mat, which I thought was really poetic. I don't know. I'm a soft. Yeah, I'm kind of curious where they got the wing. Well, maybe, I just mean, maybe the right cat caught her. it. Maybe the cat <laughs> caught it. <laughs> Died caught its own burial mat. <laughs> Talk about independent animals. <laughs> yeah. They also had a veterinarian. I don't know. It's unclear if it was like an archaeological veterinarian, because I know that that is a thing. Or if it was just like a veter- veterinarian that they like went to their practice and were like, hey, we need you to look at this dead cat. And they just assumed it would be, you know, a week old or something. And it's 2000 years old. <laughs> um, <laughs> but they had the vegetarian, they had one way or another, they had a veterinarian look at the remains and they were able to identify the dietary habits as well as any of the injuries that the animal sustained in life. And especially in the dogs, that some of them had been injured to such a degree that they wouldn't have survived essentially without human intervention. Which, again, just kind of goes to show with that first dog from Saudi Arabia, the human intervention with a domestic animal versus a wild animal. And it's, I don't know, it's very touching, you know, in that kind of sense. But yeah, so the veterinarian study showed that these animals were able to heal from their injuries and live past when they would have died if they had been living out in the wild on their own or been homeless in an urban environment. But yeah, this uh, this little uh, cemetery in Egypt I just thought was really, really cool because it's kind of one of the oldest examples that I could find of people leaving burial goods specifically for their cats. Like the previous two I mentioned didn't necessarily have burial goods specifically for the animals. Whereas this yeah. one, you know, they were buried with their collars, it seems like. They might have been wrapped in, like, a um, a blanket. Like a shroud? Um, it's not clear. It just says textiles. So for all we know, it could have hmm. been a shroud. It could have been their favorite blanket. It could have just been, you know, a potato sack or something. But that even, no matter what sort of textile, that care was still taken to wrap them, right? Which I think is still yeah. important to remark upon. To get into more sad stuff, we're going to stay in the first or second (laughs) century AD, and we're going to go from Egypt, and we're actually going to go to Rome. If we look towards Rome proper, I couldn't find any, like, specifically, like, pet cemeteries, but there were, there are lots of memorials for pets, specifically dogs, and it should be noted that there are statues and frescoes in Roman tombs. And things like that, um, especially because they were kind of of the same religion as Greece. And so for those who aren't aware, the guardian of the underworld in Greek myth was Cerberus, also known as, which is actually ancient Greek for spot. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You didn't know that? Um, I feel like I've seen that, but I'd forgotten it. Yeah, but he, for those who aren't aware... Are, is a three-headed dog who guards the underworld. And I'm not sure if that practice actually, or that uh, idea kind of carried over into the Roman pantheon, but I think it's, I think they still kind of stuck around as far as, like, they're still pictured, especially if the person had a dog, or especially they were especially seen accompanying children who had died on those sorts mm. of frescoes and things, and uh, statuary. But I'm talking specifically in this sense about 
uh, some stele and carved stones that were left behind to mark the burial of beloved canines. So as I mentioned before, on children's grave markers, they would sometimes have an image of a dog beside them. There was one specific stele that had the likeness of a dog carved into it with a piece of script underneath it because they left... I think they're probably one of the oldest versions of like an epitaph left for a pet. They would often leave, well, not often, but they would occasionally leave stele or carved stone behind to essentially mark where a dog had been buried or just to memorialize the fact that they had a dog and they were sad about it and they wanted to, their, everyone to remember their little dog that they loved. So I have collected a couple of epitaphs about people's dogs for you today which are very sad because it's essentially people mourning the loss of their pet. It's in several different types of English. Like we go into old English at one point. If I had had more time, I would have brushed off my rusty old Latin book and tried to translate it. But it's been a (laughs) while for me and I'm not as good as I used to be. I was never very good to begin with, if we're speaking honestly, but it would have been a good exercise. So if the language sounds very different, it's somebody else translating it, not me. Please don't come for me. Hold on, let me get a Kleenex (laughs) in case I cry. (laughs) So one of the first epitaphs goes as follows. I am in tears while carrying you to your last resting place as much as I rejoiced when bringing you home in my own hands 15 years ago. Now, as a researcher and everything, that kind of just goes to show, A, that, hey, this dog lasted 15 years, which is pretty pretty good That's for pretty a dog even today dog. Yeah. in ancient Rome without, you know, modern veterinary practice. Like, damn. But it's very obvious that this dog, you know, was very well loved. You know, he, he lived for 15 years and... He gets, uh, he gets an entire grave marker carved for him, and the owner went through all of this effort to make everybody remember his dog that he loved so much. Another really sad one uh, in a bit of older English. My eyes were wet with tears, our little dog, when I bore thee to the grave. So, Patricus, never again shall thou give me a thousand kisses. Never canst thou be contentedly in my lap. In sadness I have buried thee, and thou deservest. In a resting place of marble I have put thee for all time by the side of my shade. In thy qualities as sagacious thou wert like a human being. Ah, me, what a loved companion we have lost. So this is a little Patricus, who it's not clear how old he lived to be, but... The last epitaph that I have is a bit of a weird one. Um, it's one of the most commonly like quoted ones that I've seen around, and it goes to Helena, foster daughter, the incomparable and worthy soul. And it is a uh, small stone that has a dog carved into it with this text underneath. But as I said before, dogs will sometimes show up on children's grave markers, although they're usually accompanying a child. But the way that this epitaph is worded, it could be a dog or a child. It's kind of unclear, but it's often listed as specifically a pet epitaph. But, you know, we don't really know and we probably never will whether Helena was... We know that Helena was loved, whether they were a dog or a small girl. Or if they were a dog girl. Or a dog girl. (laughs) They were a little werewolf girl, so... 
As soon as you started reading those from the very first one, it just transported me immediately back to being, oh God, probably 10 years old. I had a lot of pets growing up, but when I was 10 years old, I had a hamster for the first time and the only time in my life I've had a hamster. And you started reading it and it immediately took me back to the day we buried him. And I only had him for a short amount of time. And I felt as a 10 year old, very, very responsible for his death. Um, I felt like it was my fault. I didn't take care of him well enough and he didn't survive because I was used to having cats that lived for several years or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. So this little being that was in my care for a year or so and he dies. I remember writing this very emotional poem that I read as we were burying him. And before we started putting the dirt on top of the little box that in the grave that we dug for him. I put the poem on top and just cried my heart out. <laughs> oh. And I was immediately transported back to that moment when you started reading those epitaphs because I felt that emotion that those people felt putting that putting those words down as they're yeah. saying goodbye. Um, very powerful. Janine, now you're making me cry. <laughs> I have this takes uh, me sorry. back to burying one of my first pets, and kind of same thing, but no poem because I was incoherent. <laughs> Just goes to show again, you know, it's hard losing a pet. It um, is, and I, th- I think we know from your uh, your Brooklyn Nine Nine sort of attachment to beans already. It doesn't matter how long you have a pet; the second you're attached, you're doomed. Yeah, <laughs> to to be very sad when you lose them. Well, I've lost four dogs and a cat in my life. And each one has not been easy. And I still, like, I don't know, I still grieve for my dogs from when I was a kid, you know? Oh, absolutely. Um, Yeah. So you guys ready to move on to one of our final pet cemeteries? Whose name I'm going to butcher? Because it actually has a name. Oh, wow. So next, we are going to the year 1899 to a little town called... Asnier sur Seine. <laughs> Where is this? In it is eight kilometers outside of Paris. As Asnier sur Seine. Asnier sur Seine. <laughs> to right. Le Cimetière de Chiens Autre Domestique. I practiced this before we recorded too, and it still sounds like shit, so I apologize. I've never had a good French accent, even in school. Le Cimetière. I know. Uh, <laughs> Le Cimetière de Station et Autre Animaux Domestiques. Otherwise known in English as the Cemetery for Dogs and Other Domestic Animals. At one point, when it was first opened in 1899, it was at one point considered to be the first zoological necropolis, but as we have already learned this episode, Egypt and the one at Ashkelon in Israel have kind of got that one beat by several millennia. This is actually, you can actually still go and visit the cemetery. And I think, uh, I don't know if it's still accepting pets that have passed on, but I do know that I think it was active until within the last like 30 years. Cause I think that there were some that were at least in the nineties. I'm not sure if it's really? still. Yeah. So it's got, it's got a good, at least a century of pets in it, which is really interesting. Um, wow. And there is quite a wide range of animals buried here. You've got standard dogs and cats, but you also have horses, turtles, lions, and fish. Lions? 
Lions? Fish? <laughs> Fish. <laughs> Turtles? When this cemetery was first created, it was kind of reserved for a higher clientele, which makes sense the because... The lions? Because <laughs> <laughs> it had lions, and also in 19th century, you probably could only really afford to have a pet that was just a pet and not like a working dog or something, mm. unless you, you were, were a bit... Class. A little bit more higher class or had the property to have that sort of thing in this t- city. So there are actually some famous animals who were buried here, including a German Shepherd movie star by the name of Rin Tin Tin. I don't know if you've heard his name. I have. Oh, you have? I don't know what from, but... Well, he was in 27 Hollywood films. Um, wow. And he was in, like, silent films. Primarily silent films, I believe. And he was actually rescued from a World War One battlefield by an American soldier. <laughs> so what a colored had, history! I know he's he's <laughs> so, the dog has had a more adventurous life than I have. Yeah, <laughs> than I think most people. Yeah, um, him being in all those films actually made German pet shepherds more kind of appealing as a family pet. So he was kind of responsible for more oh. people adopting German shepherds. Cool. Um, Another, the lion that is buried there, I couldn't tell if there was more than one or not, but at least one of the lions, if there are more than one, is the pet of one of the cemetery's co-founders, Marguerite Durand, uh, who was a feminist and all-around really cool lady. And in the center of the cemetery is a statue of a St. Bernard who was named Barry, who died in 1814, so almost 85 years prior to the uh, opening of this cemetery. But it's actually, he's actually not buried there for some reason, but his remains are preserved at the Swiss Natural History Museum in Bern. <laughs> so oh, I don't wow. know why they, I don't know why, like he was, he, he rescued a bunch of people in a, um, in a snow, in an avalanche, I think. So oh. they memorialized him there like 85 years later it's it's kind of odd just the hero the pet hero that they wanted to pay tribute to at the pet cemetery i guess so yeah so i wanted to get like a feel for some of these cemeteries but obviously nobody's doing like walking tours of them uh but so this was the first one i was able to kind of take a closer look at as far as like looking at pictures and things so there's a video by The Earful Tower, which I think is another podcast. I didn't look too closely at it, but they have a YouTube channel and they walk through. It's a man and a woman that walk through this cemetery and kind of give you the vibe of it. And they talk about things and it's just kind of, I don't know, it gives you it gives you a nice little walkthrough. And they like point, at, point out some of the uh, individual graves and things. The woman mentioned that it was very warm. All of the little notes and like there's like a turtle statue or a turtle grave that has like a little turtle statue in front of it. All of these little notes and things that were left by these the owners of these pets. Like a lot of the, the graves also have pictures of the pets on the graves. And it's just it's just like a very lovely, warm place, despite it being associated with death. Well, I think that's a lot of the value in these things and in having mourning practices right because grief is what you feel mourning is what you do sort of thing and and mourning is so much an act of love and compassion yeah for the person you've lost despite what pain you may feel and it's well, i mean i don't see it much in graveyards around here where they're almost entirely absent of people and plaques are flat to the ground so you can lawn mow 
rhythm and stuff like that. But in much older graveyards where they do have epitaphs and statues and, and symbols, and you can see the care that went into having memorial, having a place to memorize or to memorialize people and to visit and so that future generations too know what a good boy the dog was. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well said, Mariah. Well said. But yeah, I I definitely agree that, you know, one thing I kinda I think that the the person in the video pointed this out is that, you know, all of these graves were kind of almost maintained better than I think some like most human <laughs> graves are. Which was interesting, so. But uh, there was one that she pointed out, though, that I just feel like I have to bring up because the owner of this one cat just, like, had to tell everybody about this one cat who had died, who had taught himself how to feed with his, himself with his own paw. And there were, like, three pictures of the cat, like, in action, feeding himself oh. with his paw, and then the epitaph said it, and it was just... Precious. <laughs> yeah, it was Crowning just... Crowning achievement. It, yeah, it was just great, and so there's lots of really cute little things like that, so. But it's also crazy just how fancy some of those graves were. I, I definitely suggest looking it up because, I don't know, it's it's kind of heartwarming, and it's also just interesting how much money people have to spend also. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm actually going to come to 1997 for our last pet cemetery, which is... The last one's a bit of a two-parter, I guess, because it is not for traditional pets that we seem to know of. It is not for cats or dogs, although it is attached to a cemetery for mm. cats and dogs. 1997. You guys want to hmm. take a guess? Yeah, our little digital friends. Yes. <laughs> so it is a pet cemetery for virtual pets, primarily 1997 at the height of the Tamagotchi craze. For those who aren't aware, a Tamagotchi is like a little piece it's of like a- plastic. It's like a little handheld video game and you look after a pet and it's got three buttons that essentially are feed, clean, and play, I think. And essentially you have to keep this alive because these little virtual creatures, which are collectible and everything... They can die if you don't make sure that you feed them. And they make little beeping noises if you don't feed them. Or they, they essentially tell you what they need and then you push the button and then they are happy and you can play with them. Um, I never had one. I really wanted one. So I read that they only lived about 25 days. I don't know if that's true or not. Oof. Oh my god, that's it, I don't know. I also didn't have one, but a lot of my peers had them. I missed yeah. that. I had poochies. I had the robot dog. I also dog. had a Poochie. Oh my god, I had one of those. Yeah. I, I loved Poochie. He was no great. Furby for me, though. Furbies were creepy. It's. I think I had a Furby at one point as well, but I vastly preferred Poochie. His yeah, little bone! A... <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so this little pet, virtual pet cemetery can be found in Cornwall, England. Um, I think it's still <laughs> around. Yeah, and I think... Uh, this kind of can go into like an entirely different mortals episode, but just like grief of, you know, something virtual or a character, you know, and how we, how we mourn things that were never really alive, like video game characters or virtual pets. But I think it's a very interesting conversation that I hope that we can kind of have one in a bit more long form one day. Absolutely. Well, Um, Tamagotchis as well for, 
for anybody who's not familiar with them, suffered from permadeath. It wasn't you couldn't reset your virtual pet. I think when they were could. gone. They were gone. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you could, maybe, but, but I think different whole, iterations, like, I guess. Right. Because I know that a lot of the time, from when I was reading about this pet cemetery, is that people refused to reset. Like, mm. Sid, my, Tapagani, my Tamagotchi was dead. And so I would, I'm going to, I can't bring myself to reset. They were so, so attached I'm just going to bury to him. That one that it would feel, it's like getting a new dog af- too soon after you, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. your dog. Yeah. Your dog passes away. It, this actually reminds me a lot of, I was really into, we're really dating ourselves with this. I was really into <laughs> Neopets. Um, Hell yeah. As oh I was my growing God. up. And I was always so afraid that it, if I forgot to feed my Neopets, then they would die. But I don't think they ever actually I don't died. think so. They just, you come back to them and they're like really sad or mad at you. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. It's not good training for <clears throat> kids learning how to take care of pets, let me tell you. And I think that, honestly, the Tamagotchi craze in that sense was kind of good for children. Because, you know, even if they, because not every child has experienced death at that point. Everybody has, like, the goldfish, you know, that they have to flush down the toilet at some point. But this is kind of, like, yeah. similar to that. Like, it's something that you're responsible for. And it's one of the first things that you kind of realize, you know, like, you know, if you don't look after him, if you don't hit the feed button when he starts chirping, like, you're, he's gonna die. And I think I had talked to my partner about this before we started recording and I'm like, cause he's very into video games and I'm like, are there any video games that have that mechanic where if you don't kind of maintain the, your pet that they'll die? And he said, no, I guess there's something kind of similar in world of, in like early, iter- early expansions of world of Warcraft where a certain class, if you don't feed your companion, you're a hunter it runs away but i guess like people fucking hated that because they (laughs) didn't always log on so (laughs) i guess that got scrapped in later expansions but i don't think that there is really anything similar where like you obviously have like you have character death which you have to deal with in stories in video games and character in uh books and things but like something that like like neopets like janine said it doesn't doesn't have that finality you know yeah it's not quite the so. same first brush with mortality. I will say yeah. that uh, growing up, definitely, like, I didn't have any um, deaths in my family of relatives or anything like that. Not that, at least, not that I could remember or process until pets started dying. So that was really my first experience mm-hmm. with grief and loss was pets. Uh, we had quite a few cats growing up so I remember one cat we had he was ancient <laughs> by the time that I I was cognizant of it he was 18 I think when he died and he wow. died probably when I was eight or nine years old oh wow and just the absolute grief and having to understand and process that this creature that you've loved for so long you'll never get a chance to see again that for me, at least, and I imagine for a lot of kids, that's your first experience with that emotion. It's so, so much. And I actually, I think pets were my first ever real encounter with, like, corpses. Mm, me too. I, like, the first couple of, of pets that I lost uh, were, they kind of did the mysterious disappearance of parents deciding children shouldn't deal with this. Oh, yeah. And then, like, my childhood cat was getting sick. He was, like, 15 We've had him since I was born. 
So we, like, grew up together. I was like, this cat is my best friend. Yeah. And they were like, cool, he is in renal failure. Uh. And he's your cat, so the choice is yours. Are you going to let him die naturally, which may or may not be suffering and pain? Or will you agree to have him euthanized, which cuts off any, you know, however much time he might have had left. Yeah. And my parents put that choice up to me. (laughs) How old were you at the time? I think I was 13 or 14. Wow, that's... I feel like that's... Like, yeah, You're getting but... to the age where that's an appropriate time to learn those things, but that's still very difficult to process. Wasn't fun. And I, actually, that day I stayed... The day that we put him down, I stayed home from school, but it was just me and my dead cat. Oh, my God. At home all day <laughs> until my dad got home. And then we dro- drove out into the mountains and, like, him in his, in his, like, the blanket that you always slept on. Yeah. And, like, buried him under a bunch of rocks so the coyotes didn't eat him. But, like, there are no pet cemeteries now. Like, there's no place for me to take, you know, to take my cat's ashes and inter them. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm thinking it's not an option anymore. What what I'm going to do, my rabbit that I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, Frodo, he's about 10 years old now. And that's, he's getting up there in age. He's a senior at this point. He's blind in both eyes. He's oh, no. from, from old age. He's got cataracts. Um, and uh, it's something that I need to start thinking about obviously makes me very sad to think about but i live in a city and i don't have my own yard space and it's i I rent so it's not appropriate for me to to bury him in my landlord's yard so i need to think about what i want to do when the time comes because death comes for all of us it does and I don't know. I just think that's, we can't, you can't consider pets as different or other. And just because they're not human, when so many people feel the same deep emotions and the same deep grief and mourning for these creatures that you do for humans. And even Mm -hmm. in some cases more so, like you said, with the cemetery where so much care is being shown for these graves and for these lost loved ones, like, it doesn't matter if it's a pet or, or a human. It's all that matters is the connection that is made. And that really, I think that's really important to remember. Yeah. And I think that's kind of why I wanted to do this episode is because it's not, I feel like we could kind of trick ourselves into say that it's only about, we're only talking about their burial rates for humans, but really we're talking about how humans process grief, how humans process grief, not necessarily how they die it's not just about them, I guess. We're talking about how they process grief for other things, whether it's other beings, whether it's pets or virtual Tamagotchis or other people. I think that's why I wanted to include this is because, you know, it's, it's, it's very relevant. So I think the important thing to remember is that when humans are burying their dead, whether it's another human, a loved one, or a pet, the way that we choose to bury our dead and the care that we show is a reflection of our connection to that being. It doesn't matter that they're a pet or it doesn't matter that it's a Tamagotchi, a virtual pet. What matters is the emotion behind it. And in that way, the act of burial or cremation or however you decide to dispose of and honor your dead is a reflection of and reflects the needs of the living more than it reflects the needs of the dead. It's really not only a reflection of the living, but a reflection of the culture and 
the mindset that those who are doing the burying are coming from. And I think that's a really big thing to remember moving forward in this podcast is when whether we're talking about burial in Egypt of the the kings or whether we're talking about pet death is that the way that we're managing our dead is a reflection of the culture that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. I think that you kind of summed something up there that I was struggling to say throughout this whole episode is just the idea of reflection and that the care that went into most of these burials, with maybe exception to the Ashkelon Cemetery, is a reflection of how people felt about their pets and how they feel about the animals that live with them. And I just thought that it was kind of beautiful and lovely in its own right. Because Absolutely. as we have talked about, we've all, we have all in, in this podcast lost a pet. We all are all either have a pet or are looking for a pet. And I think that's something that a lot of people can relate to. And I'm sure people listening to this podcast probably have, you know, their own, not, maybe not everybody, but people who do have pets probably have their own ceremonies or, you know, well, we always bury the dogs in my parents' backyard or I know that my landlord does allow us to bury pets on the property. I guess one of my neighbors has buried three cats <laughs> in our backyard because she adopts elderly cats at the end oh. of their life. So I just, I like the idea of that though, the reflection, because all of this is a reflection of the beliefs, the values, and everything like that that a people hold. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I think it, I think animals are a big part of culture in general and how we treat them. And I think that it's in, in general how we treat animals is a reflection, whether good or bad. It's a way to show what our priorities are in a specific time or culture or area. Mm-hmm. So... And very much the, the needs of the living who are grieving the one that is lost are shown and demonstrated through how the dead are taken care of. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, I guess in general, history for me is just realizing that we've always kind of been the same. We've always grieved the loss of our pets. We've always stubbed our toes. We've always tried to scam each other we've always tried to be awful and lovely and wonderful to each other and i just think that the way that these pets have been treated that we've talked about in this episode is a reflection of that and i just love humanity i guess (laughs) for all of its awful horrible amazing wonderful facets i think that we did good with pets i feel like it's something that we've done right if nothing else yeah, I think it adds a lot of context to to history because there is this idea of, of referring to history as something that's done and final and it was a different kind of people that are almost a different species. But like if, if you're looking back and you're like, hmm, yeah, Socrates and Aristotle, and they feel foreign, they feel like completely other, I think it helps to be like, and a dog. Yes. Right? Like you just add a pet to the scenario and it immediately humanizes everything because it is this very human, social compulsion to be like cute animal must be friend must take must care give, of must give scratches but um essentially that is my episode on pets and death potentially part one of question mark it's a part one whether there's a part two remains to be seen but definitely try and 
scream at me through the internet if there's something obvious that I missed, or if there is an animal memorial in your town or country that you think I should talk about. Hug your little furry or scaly or whatever bastards after this. I know I'm going to go hunt my beans because he keeps trying to eat my power cords. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Beans. Just beans. Beans. <laughs> Hug your little bastards, even if they're cats and might not feel the same way about you. But uh, death comes for all of us, even our pets. And we'll see you guys next time. podcast is created, hosted, and edited by three morbidly curious individuals, Christia, Mariah, and Janine. You can find us on Twitter at Podcast Mortals, on Tumblr at Mortals Podcast, and on Instagram at Mortals underscore podcast. Our music is A Mermaid's Eulogy by Etienne Roussel. Thanks for listening, mortals. Take care of yourselves out there. I can literally hear my cat playing in the shower curtain right now. (laughs) I can hear the rustling too.